welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 309, recorded December 1st, 2019. So, as promised, today we're continuing the UK comic strips. Uh, This is, what, the 13th, 14th, and 15th story? It is indeed. And these are in the uh, Star Trek, the classic UK comics, complete series, volume one, which was released by IDW. Right. Or you could go back and pull out your old TV21 and Joe 90 issues from the UK and read them there, too. You could, if, if the pages were not disintegrating for you by now. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, so uh, another three stories uh, which are like, you know, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Gold Key in the fact that it's, a li- it, it's oriented more towards kids, mostly. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, the stories are not always great. But, uh, but the artwork, I like most of the artwork. I mean, the artwork is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Yep, and it's, and it's kind of like Star Trek, but not really. Kind of like Gold Key, so <laughs> it's like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> exactly, and then you get, your, thing. you get your own little, little English things, little twists that are coming in because of the, uh, the English audience. Right. The uh, UK audience. It's, uh, yeah. It's interesting. I will say that these three stories, unlike most of the other ones that we've done, mm-hmm. um, they really don't have Scotty in the foreground like they have been. So, well, they do. Uh, well, he, wait, 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 okay, maybe not as much. Not but, as much. He's but not yes. saving the day like he was the last uh, the last time we did it. He, in all three stories, he was like the hero. Yeah, yeah. And, and he is it the? Th- I think it's the third issue. He is he is the hero again. But uh, I think it's the third one. But yeah, you're right. Not as much. Not as much. It's that they're not inserting Scotty as the hero in every in every episode or in every storyline. Right. But hey, he's the local kid. You know, he's the right. he's the guy the UK audience is going to go behind most because he's Scotty. Yeah, and I do think that we go from uh, one magazine to another in these issues. So we start off in Joe ninety, and then it. They move off to a new series called TV Twenty One, so I don't know if yeah. that's the same same publisher and everything. They just yeah, changed not, the magazine name. Or yeah, what, I'm, I'm not but. sure either. But it used to be just Joe Ninety, and then it was TV Twenty One and Joe Ninety, I believe. Right. And then, uh, at least I think so. Well, whatever. And then it seems like the when main they, point when they change it's uh, to just TV Twenty One. Okay. Um, they change it to three pages. So used to, used to it would be a single two-page spread, mm-hmm. and then then it moved to two single pages, and then towards the uh, towards the end when it's just TV twenty one, now they get three pages per issue. So uh, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, it seems weird. It was the seventies, so did Star Trek become more popular again that they were like, give them an extra page? Well, maybe. I mean, maybe. if they didn't start playing the the show. On the British Airways until two years later, um, right. past sixty six, so sixty eight, or maybe Thunderbirds has lost its 
allure, <laughs> so they started filling in more pages of Star Trek. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I wonder how far Thunderbirds went. How long a run it had. I think it probably had a pretty decent run, but it might have petered out towards the time that Star Trek was coming on. I don't know. Right. All okay. right. Well, you want to go ahead and start us off? Oh, please. I get to do Storyline 13, uh, which was published in the set 1970. And uh, a lot of the people involved, I don't know who they were, but I do have some notes that say that Mike Noble was the artist. So the writer, though, I do not know who that was. And this will cover issues 32 through 38. And let's begin. On the United Federation of Planets guardship Dorado, Captain Luis Jago is a jerk who instills discipline in an unnecessarily cruel way. Like Captain Bly, the crew mutinies and sends the captain and his officers off in an unarmed shuttlecraft. The one officer they keep is a Vulcan named Horak, who is too valuable to the running of the ship to lose. Thinking they no longer have a place in the Federation, the new Captain Edward Jellick, I mean Voss, orders a new course for the Klingon border. Being already located close to Klingon space, the Enterprise gets the assignment to intercept the Dorado. Kirk is told to attempt to talk to the crew and get them to surrender, but failing that, he is to destroy the ship. They cannot afford to allow the Dorado to fall into Klingon hands. Back on the Dorado, Lieutenant Horek is pointing out to the new captain that their course for Klingon space is a bad idea. The Starfleet brass would rather see them blown out of space rather than cross into Klingon territory. To be continued in Spock's Startling Discovery. Issue number 33. The Dorado approaches the Enterprise. Kirk orders Voss to stand down, and he means business. Voss banks on the presence of Lieutenant Horak on the Dorado to keep Kirk, or more likely Mr. Spock, his executive officer, from blowing them out of space. Sure enough, when the Dorado passes the Enterprise, it is Spock that stops Sulu from carrying out Kirk's orders to blast the Dorado. Spock admits it's his emotional human half that made him do it, not the devil. After all, Horek is Spock's cousin. Captain Voss is quite pleased with himself, but in short order, the Enterprise is chasing the Dorado. Kirk will have his query this day. Voss is unperturbed and says Kirk's speedy pursuit will make the trap he lays all the more effective. To be continued in, the mutineers blaze a burning trail. Issue number 34. Kirk is in hot pursuit of the mutineers in the Dorado after Spock ruined their clean shot at blowing the Dorado out of space. Just as the Enterprise comes into weapons range of the Dorado, the treacherous Captain Voss gives the order to jettison fuel, which forms a flammable cloud, despite there being no air in space, in their pursuer's path. Kirk gives the order to fire missiles just as they enter the cloud. The hot exhaust from the four old-fashioned missiles ignites the fuel, again with no air present, and roasts the Enterprise. 
The mutineers are mostly happy that their way to the Klingon border will be uncontested. However, at least one crewman with a conscience named Duncan objects to how Voss killed them. He did not fight fair! Captain Voss chastises the crewmen and says they will let the Enterprise and her crew rot in the cold of space. Cut to the wreckage of the Enterprise bridge that is dark and smoldering. To be continued in The Master Slave of Death. Issue 35. The mutineers approach Skaptar, a Klingon outpost planet, but between his own men and the Vulcan, Voss is convinced to be cautious and not to trust the Klingons. They orbit and tell the Klingons to send out one of their own to parlay. Elsewhere, the crew comes to and begins to repair the Enterprise. Luckily, no one was killed by the trap, but repairing the ship will take time. Back at Skaptar, the Klingons send up a ship that halts and dispatches a lone figure using a jetpack to get to the Dorado. The Klingons talk about how they will dispatch the Master Slave to the Federation ship. A close-up of the humanoid-shaped Master Slave appears to be a robot of some kind with a very sinister-looking mechanism in a sphere instead of a head. The sinister mechanism says it's affirming its program of destruction. But all I hear is, exterminate, exterminate. To be continued in, Dorado duels with death. Issue 36. Systems on the Enterprise start coming back online, including a long-range sensors, also called the hyper-close scanner. The all-purpose Ohura activates the device, and before long, they are getting 8K video of a spacewalker in a jetpack, getting closer to the Dorado. Kirk does not like the cut of that spacewalker's jib. Too mechanical. Kirk orders Ohura, the communications officer, to put in a direct sensor beam on that spacewalker. The sensors tell Kirk that the spacewalker is a device, not a Klingon. Kirk, in his red tunic, knocks Uhura to the side and sends a signal warning the Dorado, the spacewalker's a robot. Voss does not believe Kirk, but the good man in the bad mutinous crew named Duncan thought Kirk would not lie to them, so he closes the hatch, which cuts the robot in half. The mutineers see the green gas coming out of the kamikaze robot that mostly goes harmlessly into space. Though Kirk saves their lives, Captain Voss still will not turn himself over to the Federation. Instead, he blasts the Klingon ship for their treacherous attempt to kill he and his mutinous crew. Meanwhile, Spock's cousin focuses on transmitting through his thoughts a warning to Spock. They must stop this conflict before it turns into total space war. To be continued in, Spock masterminds a daring plan. Issue 37. Voss and his mostly faithful men pull out phasers and get the rest of the crew who want to surrender to Kirk to back down. Voss means to fly the Dorado to the nearest populated Klingon planet and attack it. He wants to kill as many Klingons as he can. Horak attempts to use his calm Vulcan logic to explain the ramifications of Voss's planned attack. Voss either does not believe or he does not care that this could trigger a new war between the Federation and the Klingons, and knocks Horek unconscious. 
While Horik is unconscious, Spock is able to use his half-Vulcan mind, Juju, Juju, to take over Horik's body and use it to sabotage the Dorado as it races to the Klingon planet Necros. Kirk urges Spock to hurry, as long-range sensors show the Dorado taking heavy missile fire from the Klingon planetary defense. To be continued in Countdown to Capture. Issue 38. Voss continues to drive the Dorado toward the planet as the defensive bombardment, bombardment intensifies. Shields are holding for now. Voss shouts at his crew. They will attack the Klingons and show them strength that will force them to accept his terms. Meanwhile, in engineering, Horek, under Spock's remote control, continues to make changes to the Dorado sensor system. Changes complete, the Dorado's captain thinks the ship has been turned 180 degrees from its course towards Necros. In reality, nothing has changed, but that triggers the maniacal captain to bring the ship back around to go towards Necros again. But... All that does, in reality, is direct his ship back the way it came from Necros. Kirk positions the Enterprise in the Dorado's path, with a gas shell ready to fire into the Dorado and knock out the crew. Confident, Kirk rubs his hands together, readily, uh, ready to end the mutiny. The end. Wow, that was exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, I hated the uh, the, the puppet Vulcan thing that was... Really silly, I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so basically another robot. They, they, they have a lot of robots in these uh, these comics. No, no, no. I mean that Spock was able to control the his oh, cousin. Oh, his cousin. His, oh. Because only when his cousin's knocked out. I, I was like... Yeah, that made no sense. Vulcan's never done that before. No, of course not. Of course not. But that, that really should not stop a guy, you know, sitting somewhere in England figuring out a storyline to something he may have never seen. Right. Yeah, that was pretty dumb. We don't even know who wrote this. Yeah, the unknown guy. But I will say I love the artwork and I... Even the cousin, I thought he looked a lot like... uh, He looked a lot like Black Adam from DC Comics. Oh, okay. Black Adam. But then at times I thought he looked a lot like... uh, uh, What's his name? Mark Leonard from... Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. Spock's sure. Papa. Spock's Papa. So I thought it was. I thought I again. I always enjoy this artwork. So it's always really detailed, even though it doesn't quite match up what Star Trek's supposed to look like. Even though I think this one does a pretty good job, especially with the ships and stuff. Right. Uh, Agreed. But, uh, except for like the barbell ship or whatever that was. The, oh, oh, the the actual Dorado. Yeah, it looked like a a barbell. Yeah, old timey barbell. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just a a long cylindrical pipe, kind of like a barbell, with two round things on each side. And then three jet engines on the back and a long, pokey thing on the front. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's a dart. It's a very oddly shaped dart. And And what does the pokey thing do? I mean, it's not going to stab anything. I don't know what it does. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the, the only thing that makes any sense would be an antenna, but who knows? It's got things going out of the sides of the front of the forward ball. That looks like that. that's probably uh, antennas. I don't know. And in the back, of course, it's got little wings. Because you need wings in space. Right. Well, I mean, it might make atmospheric landings, so who knows? Oh, it would? Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Why not? 
And then maybe once it's down, it turns into a uh, an Imperial at ad walker. Maybe. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah. Yep. I don't think it's a very good-looking ship at all. I mean, I think a little bit it tries to maybe channel a little bit of the um, the Discovery in 2001 A Space Odyssey, but not really. Right. Not really. Yeah, and it looks like some of those original designs for what the Enterprise was going to be, you know, oh, when really? it was going to have that ball section. Well, at least, like, the front of it, a ball section. That was one of oh, the original designs right. for the Enterprise, too, but, but not the... Not two ball sections and a, and a pipe in between. <laughs> and, a, and a handy handle in between? No. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, right. So eventually they did use the ball thing uh, for a medical ship, right? Yeah, the Pasteur or whatever. Ooh, very good. The Pasteur. There you go. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and how do you like all those rockets? I love the rockets. Doesn't look like Star Trek, but... They're no. so beautiful that you gotta like it. Well, <laughs> they they're, they they are kind of cool looking. It's just it's like it just made seeing these rockets, these conventional looking rockets. It just made me think, you know, photon torpedoes are just blobs of light. Hmm, how much how much sense does that really make? Well, so, but they're not blobs of light. Just because they're in motion, we see them as blobs well, of light. If they were stopped, then they would just look like a little coffin. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, anyway, so but at first I was thinking, how stupid they keep on showing these rockets that just look like like modern day rockets, you know? Uh, right. And then, then and uh, anyway, but but then I just yeah, it just made me think of the blobs of light that photon torpedoes always were depicted, which looks cool. But when you think about it, it's like, eh. right. Wait, a yeah. photon. What are those? It's exactly. light. How is light going to explode? Okay, whatever. Because it's filled with photon energy. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're hit by photon energy all the time. It's called light. It doesn't it's not hurt us. Concentrated photons in a oh, in a coffin. <laughs> Good point. It's a coffin Good point. that really does it. Good point. Good point. Lasers are just light, right? Okay, fine. Exactly. Fair enough. Fair That's enough. why they don't use lasers after the Pike era. It's phasers. Lasers. Exactly. So that Captain Jago, who at first mean dude. he's a mean dude. He he's a he's a big poopy head. So yeah, I mean at the beginning it's like this guy's a I mean th- th- <laughs> this this guy could not have come out of Starfleet Academy. I'm sorry. No, and it's, now, it's it, ridiculous. It, exactly. Now, now Jellico was a poopy head, too, in a lot of ways, but in the end, he was an effective captain, although I would not want to work for him. This guy, this this Jago guy is, no, uh-uh. You yeah, know, he picked some guy that didn't even say anything and says, ten, ten days in solitary for not saying anything right. or whatever, for right. not complaining. Right. It's like, I was like... This guy's all over the place. Yeah, and I'm not sure, but I think that guy he picked out, Duncan, wasn't Duncan the guy at the end that, yeah. uh, you know, went Oh, was Kirk? he the guy that turned on him at the end? Okay, cool. I think. And he gets a story arc. I didn't even catch that. Good job. Oh, there you go. Well, he was one of the few people on that crew they bothered naming other than the captain. Or the the bald guy who became the captain. Right. Was his name Voss? Yes. Yes, he was. A yeah. born leader who's a idiot. Yeah, he is. 
Right. And this ship is tiny. When it shows it up against the Enterprise, oh, it I looks don't... like it's like the missile sized. It's so small. Oh right, okay. Yeah, I see. I see that one photo where it it flies around the Enterprise, right? And it's kind of like superimposed over the top of the primary hull, Enterprise primary hull, yeah, which really has nipples. I just noticed that. Oh, the nacelle has a nipple. Yeah. Very Again, good. doesn't really make sense why I would have pokey things coming out of the nacelle. No, cells. but. You know, we like that. You know, a little nod to the original pilot. Yeah, but not, but that's not interesting. Kirk's. Exactly. So why? Anyway, whatever. Well, why is he wearing a red shirt? So let, let... <laughs> <laughs> why is Kirk wearing a red shirt the entire time? Exactly. And Scotty's wearing blue. Yeah, and and, and that's the standard. I mean, there's been right. multiple storylines that have been this way. So that's the Voss guy, right? I mean. When the new, not the boss, uh, the new Mike, whatever his name is, the artist. Mike is Noble. It, yeah, is, is, that, that's when we started seeing this odd color scheme, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, no, because I think this is the first one he's done. He only did three, and they're the one. Oh, no, no, he did one last. He I, th- did, I, think, uh, I think he did one he last. He did 14, issue. 15. Yeah, he did 13, 14, 15, and 16. So, yeah, okay. he did one last week. Okay, no, well, what, whatever. Whatever. The main point is, it hasn't been that long. I mean, they used to get Kirk's tunic at least, at least the right color. I thought, but not red. They've given up. Red, red is no, no. And he's the only one with red. I think, isn't he the only Uh, one with red? Ahura. Oh, Ahura. Okay. So why? why And Sulu has red. (laughs) Oh, Sulu does too. Okay. Okay. Fine. Somebody's. Uh, I give up. One of those stations, and he looks like he's wearing red. Okay. So command is red. Even though Ahura is... It looks better than yellow on these printed pages. Yeah, Because they maybe. use yellow as the background so often. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe they're just... They know the future and they know... As soon as they start making movies, they're going to be all in red. Ooh, good point. Good point. Anyways. Um, Klingon ships look like traditional rocket ship kind yeah. of sci-fi... Exactly. Movies. Yeah, 50s kind of thing. Is is that like three engines are all three engines hooked up to some swept back kind of like mini wing or something? Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a fighter. Traditional fighter. Yeah. With three little rockets instead of normal wings. Ooh, actually, so that's a little bit like uh, the Battlestar Galactica Vipers. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Little Buck Rogers, I was thinking, but yeah, sure. Well, I mean, in the Star end, Wars, it's Battlestar Galactica, probably this. All, I mean, Buck Rogers. I mean, not Buck Rogers. Flash Gordon was kind of the progenitor of all of those, right? Because those serials were right, but pretty revolutionary at, at the time. Yes, uh, but looking at that back at the Buster Crab uh, ship they used to fly around in, it kind of looked like a like an iron, like to to press your shirts with. I remember that when I was a kid, watching some of those old things and thinking, that looks like an iron. Which they had a little nod to um, in The Last Jedi, the the last Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. that scene where it's an iron, but it's like a close-up, so it looks like it's the bottom of a ship landing, and then it pans out, and you see that it's just a robot ironing Imperials uniforms. <laughs> Obviously, it's a little <laughs> nod to, to that kind of look. <laughs> Gosh, you had me going there, Donovan. You had what? me going. It's pretty funny. I thought it was hilarious. 
<laughs> Why are you laughing? You continue to have me going. I do not no. It's in there. No. <laughs> it's in the last chat I watch it. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. No, really? There. Yeah. Okay, I only saw that movie once because I really didn't think it was that good. But I do not remember anybody ironing shirts. <laughs> yeah, it's when uh, when <laughs> when uh, Rose and uh, Finn and and Benicia Toro are on the the Imperial ship trying to break in. They, there's a little. They go through <laughs> the laundry area. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! You know, maybe maybe I sold that show a little short. Maybe I should watch it again. You know, for the cool parts. Yeah, the cool parts, like involving the iron. ironing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, all right. So remind me again. What did uh, what did Spock's cousin do exactly? Um, and why was he able to do it without anybody noticing that this guy was walking around messing with the controls <laughs> in a robotic kind of uh, way about Stupid. him? Yeah. Uh, he messed with the sensors. So rather than doing something simple like disabling, I don't know, the engines, he went ahead and reprogrammed the sensors so that so it that would it... give a false visualization of them going away from the planet, turning and going away from the Klingon planet. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought happened. Isn't that? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, we should do that. Now, and, and quite frankly, I, I I guess it's good because they were still going towards the Klingon planet, and they were shooting at them. So just disabling the engines probably wouldn't have been the best move. But right. um, it seems a little Hogan's Heroes esque, where you're going to go in and reprogram the sensors to give a false video image. I don't know. Nope, I'm with you. I did not understand. There seemed like a million other ways they could have done that. Right. That would have been easier. Right, right, right. But they had to keep us guessing week to week. They did. They did. Yeah, so at one point when they're in the Enterprise, um, Kirk and everybody are like laid out in a very weird way. Were they in a different part of the ship or something? Because that looked nothing like the bridge. This is when they got um, hit with the gas. Oh, I don't think it was. I think it was during uh, when they were like in the middle of, of fighting. Yeah, you know, like middle right. of you know uh, in the middle of of all the fighting going on. Yeah, there's a scene where they're sh- showed all splayed out on like boxes and stuff, or what looks like boxes, but I guess they're consoles and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it, it looks almost like a rectangular type room, as opposed to being circular. Right. So there is actually Spock. There's one in particular I have in mind, which is the beginning of issue 34, first page, where it show, Spock is standing there. Kirk is actually at a station. Ahura is directly behind him. And then I think it's um, Sulu and some other guy in a blue shirt that are behind Ahura. The layout, that is not the bridge. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, or at least no bridge Kirk, I know of. Kirk's chair's not there. It's like Ahura's like right right behind Sulu or whoever that's supposed to be. Right. No, I don't know. That's not Sulu. That's Kirk. Yeah, no, that's really weird. It's weird. 
Yeah, okay, yeah. But that, no, the red shirt Kirk is saying, stand by, Mr. Sulu. So that's Kirk. Right. And then Sulu's in the front. Uh, but right. it would be like right behind Ahura, which is where Kirk's chair should be. So you're right. right. They're not on the Yeah, so, but where are they? So I, I just think that's battle weird. Bridge. Well, that would make sense if they had a battle bridge. Did they have a battle bridge on the original Enterprise? I doubt I it. I don't think so. I mean, they could do a saucer separation, but I don't know if it was. <laughs> they could. They so in that new, well, I don't want to ruin anything for you. But there is, it's probably not new when anybody hears this edited uh, issue, but I want, to, I want to put a plug in for the novel, the uh, Discovery novel, The Enterprise War. I might have mentioned that before uh, in maybe a previous episode, but I just finished it a little while, uh, a few days ago. Really good. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's Pike time period. And is it based before he took over the Discovery or after? Exactly, just before. So okay, all the okay. damage that the Enterprise had, and it was out of commission for a while, so oh, that's, that's right. why he went on to Discovery and was the captain of Discovery for a while. Um, that So you're seeing what how all the damage happened. Oh, okay. It was good? Yeah, oh, yeah. It, I, I liked it. Uh, the Enterprise... <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty beat up. So when you're reading it, do you vision... Which which Pike do you, do you envision? Do you envision him to look like uh, oh. Jeremy Hunter or... Do you... Jeffrey Hunter? Jeffrey no. Hunter. Not at all. You, you picture the new guy? I picture the new guy. Uh, Black Bolt. Yes. Right. Yeah, I, hmm. I definitely the new guy, the new guy's really good. I, I like him. Good. Yeah, I, we we only saw Jeffrey Hunter once, you know. Some flashbacks, and in a chair. <laughs> no, that wasn't him. No, it was a totally different actor in a lot of heavy makeup. Right. Uh, which he really didn't have to be. I mean, come on, didn't have to be Jeffrey Hunter. Um. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I like that. It was good. And also, they seemed to... All of the... In between uh, Season 2 and 3, those uh, short tracks, they all seem to be on the Enterprise. Oh, really? So, I don't know if you've been keeping up with those, but... Um, no, because I canceled my CBS All Access once I finished Discovery, and I'll okay. probably restart it when... Well, yeah, when the season gets going again, and you redo... You go back and look at the at the short tracks. Ah, yes. So interesting how they made that choice that at least so far they made them all with, uh, not with the Discovery crew. Well, because we don't know what's going on with them in the future. Well, they're a thousand years in the future, right? Right. And plus, I mean, you've seen the trailer for next season, right? Yep. Okay, there you go. So we have an idea, but I like like how they're using uh, Kirk and Pike and uh, number one. Kirk? Oh, I'm sorry. Pike. Did oh, I say Kirk? You did say Kirk. Pike. And I was like, whoa, and those Spock. short tracks really did and, something different. And number one. All right, cool. Right. All right, anything else on this issue, or should we move to 14? Let's go to the next one. Oh, yeah, just... I think I, I mentioned this during the, during the synopsis, but the idea of igniting fuel in space is relatively... It's really kind of ridiculous, but... Right. Well, then I was wondering, how, how was that ship moving so fast and so far without any fuel that it just jettisoned it all? So, uh, uh, That's a very good point. That's a very good point. 
And, and even if it was able to ignite fuel in space, I mean, would that really hurt the Enterprise that much? It'd just fly right through it, right? Well, not if it's igniting. I don't know. Okay, moving yeah, on. No, it did make sense. All right, so the next issue, uh, or storyline, sorry, is number 14. This came out in TV21 Weekly, uh, issues 39 through 44. And the uh, the hardcover calls it the Ageless One, which is not in the issue itself. But All right, so uh, the Enterprise launches a probe, and uh, shortly after it vanishes while it's orbiting a planet. Intrigued, Kirk and Spock decide to beam down to the planet, and they find that it's just a lush landscape with some large armadillo creatures hopping around and no source of intelligent life. Suddenly, the duo is knocked out by a strange sound, falling to the ground, and then they vanish, just like the probe did in space. When they wake, they find themselves in the same place, but now there's a large domed building right in front of them. They enter, and they are soon attacked by some robot arms. Dodging these, they make their way further in, and they find a museum of sorts with all kinds of strange creatures preserved inside glass. They then meet the collector of these creatures, and he is a blue eyeball with arms riding around on a little sled. So Ken mentioned that he kind of looked like an octopus, but uh, and he does, but he also just looks like a, a blue eyeball with tentacles. So they, that paints the picture for you. He tells the Trekkers that he has beamed them through time, 1,000 years into their future, and he's going to add them to his collection. He then tries to wrap them up with some moving wires that are emitted from a floating orb that he has. Uh, while he's doing this, while Kirk's being wrapped up, Spock speculates how he could reach the Enterprise that's still 1,000 years in the past. The two are quickly captured and put into a glass case. Uh, they're paralyzed, but they're still awake. The Collector tells them that he's going to kill them, and then he's going to preserve them forever in his collection. We flash back to the past. Uh, the Enterprise is able to pick up a strange signal, which is the Collector's teleporter from the future. So they uh, track down where on the planet that this signal's coming from. Uh, Scotty gathers up two shuttles full of troops, and they land, and then they're able to force themselves to be beamed into the future. Once in the future, they find the domed building, and they start to storm it. Kirk and Spock are able to break free from their glass while the Collector is distracted. Spock breaks into another nearby glass case, which is holding some aliens that are holding rifles. He and Kirk then use these rifles to shoot the Collector's floating orbs. We then find out that the alien can turn himself invisible, and he floats around in his little sled, and he takes pot shots at Spock and Kirk. Kirk then orders Scotty to attack a wall of the dome, and when they do so, it breaks down, and there's a huge plume of smoke. And within the smoke, they can now see the invisible eyeball alien. Uh, the beaten alien then starts a self-destruct of the dome building, saying that he would rather die than lose his collection. Spock is able to reverse the time travel beam, and all the Enterprise crew are beamed back to the prime timeline just as the dome building explodes in the future. The end. 
Wow, they got a raid just in time. I mean, that is close timing, too. So Spock was able to get the time travel thing working and then beam everybody back in time before the, the museum blows up, which contains the tri- time travel machine. Right? Right. Exactly. Wow. Spock, you can perform well under pressure. Yeah, he did it all in two panels. <sighs> Pretty impressive. Yeah, I know, because this future tech has to be more advanced than little cardboard blocks. <laughs> or wooden blocks. L- little wooden, yeah, wooden blocks painted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of good tech, I, I am impressed that those rifles that were part of a museum display are still charged up and functional. Exactly. But that's pretty smart of Spock to, uh, you know, give her a shot, literally, and right. grab those suckers, and they worked. Yeah, so what did you think of their design? They look a little bit like the your favorite favorite uh, rifle. They, they do not look like the Star Trek phaser rifle. Are you trying to say that? I am trying to say that only because they're giant and bulky. <laughs> <laughs> well, from that standpoint, yes, I guess you're right. And it's got and, and it's got a, like a, cylind- a cylinder sticking out the front that looks like too fragile to actually be practical. Yes, you're right. right. Okay, right. fine. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous looking thing. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's got like stuff sticking out of the barrel all the way along it. It's, it's odd. It's very strange. Right, but he's able to shoot. That ball, that offensive ball with the weapon in it, uh, with a little, uh, a little propeller on top, <laughs> yeah. which uh, gives it its way of locomotion. This thing has the ability to travel in time, and you would think it might have a little bit higher tech than a propeller. Right, and this this little ball can spit out all these really long wires and paralyzing vines or whatever. I don't know what they're called. But exactly. They're, it must be bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, and yet <laughs> its locomotion is a little, uh, literally a propeller. Exactly. And you know that the the collector wor- moves around on a disc. Right, a little, a little sled, yeah. Exactly. It's like a golden um, man cover. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And he's flying around. Obviously, it's anti-grav. Uh, but again, propeller for this little ball. Yeah, so, it's quite funny. It is rather funny. Although, uh, I, I have to mention that it reminds me of a horror movie. A sci-fi horror movie that I enjoyed thoroughly. Phantasm? Exactly. Yeah. Only that sucker didn't have no stinking propeller. And, rather than little tentacle electrocution things it had like spikes and uh, drill drill bits coming out of it yeah and it when it hits into your head <laughs> you're you're gonna say bye-bye yeah so. it's gonna be quite grotesque cool okay so you you channeled the phantasm thing also i didn't until you said it but as soon as you said as soon as you said an old horror movie it was it was like oh yeah duh <laughs> <laughs> right and I went ahead and actually looked up that movie quickly, and the the main poster, movie poster, for that movie, more so than any actor, 
even the creeper, creepy guy that ran the uh, the funeral home, who who was pretty good, he was pretty creepy as as the as the bad alien guy. But the thing that dominates this, the 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 movie poster more than anything else, the ball <laughs> with the blades and the drill bit coming out of it. Right. That was the star of the show. That was the star of the show. They it made was. a whole franchise off of it. <laughs> yeah, they had two or three. At least two more uh, sequels, right. didn't they? Uh, I, don't know, I, I, I never saw the that. sequels. I just I just saw the first one. Yeah. Again, artwork is beautiful on this. Uh, very detailed. I mean, there was a there was like cards that came out in the '60s and stuff, mm-hmm. which were always like super detailed, like paintings. Like Mars Attacks had, uh, you know, that's where Mars Attacks came from. Uh, there was like a Batman '66 one. You know, there was there was a lot of like comic book trading cards that came out around oh. in the 60s and 70s. Okay. And this artwork always reminds me of that is like it's so beautiful but mm-hmm. um and it could just stand alone on a little card. So I don't know if this Mark Mike Noble guy ever did some of those cards or it was know. just the style of the time, but right. I I really like this. Yeah. And he he does a good job. I like the explosions as uh, Scotty and about 12 red shirts are just blasting away on the entrance to the museum. So that looks really good. But I got to say, he cannot do a good job on Leonard Nimoy at all. You don't think so? I don't think he does a good job with Leonard. Okay, okay, so maybe a few panels. But generally speaking, I don't think Leonard Nimoy looks good. Uh, I could see that. I, I could see what you're saying. Yeah, And then, of course, Kirk only barely looks like Shatner. Um... Really only in the super close-ups. Exactly. Any, any other time than that, he just looks like a white guy. Yeah, generic, square-jawed white guy with black hair. Right. But I gotta say, at the very end, the last panel shows two uh, shuttles coming up off the off the planet's surface, and that looks really good. Right. Liking that. <laughs> and yep. of course, of course, the bad guy here, the 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 eyeball guy. Is ridiculous, patently ridiculous. Yeah, but again, it reminds me of like the Mars Attacks type artwork. Right. You know, it's just like this ridiculous little alien guy, and he's supposed to be the the, the heavy. <laughs> You're supposed to fear him. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I really don't have anything else to say. No, um, I don't, I don't you, really either. Out of the three, I think I like this one the best. But uh... well, I think I do. I like it too. But. Um... Okay, one last thing to say. The whole idea of them going a th- being brought a thousand years into the future, it was like, oh, well, that's an interesting thought. So I thought the possibilities of it w- was good. But then when Scotty and the folks on the Enterprise were like able to, you know, because the channel was left open between the future and the past to show Kirk... You know, the Enterprise in the past and all Mm. that kind of stuff. And somehow the crew of the Enterprise were able to uh, detect that that signal and somehow figure out it's a thousand years in the future, the signal. And, like, they were actually, like, moving, like they were going to do something about it. It's like, well, the only way you're going to do something about it is if you can actually move forward a thousand years also, which you can't do. Um... 
And so I thought that whole bit was kind of ridiculous. And I was thinking, what are they? Are they going to make up some kind of techno babble, bad techno babble that's going to somehow explain how the Enterprise crew is able to get a thousand years in the future all on their own? But luckily, you know, the little shift thing—it's like it's the eyeball guy that brings him into the future. Uh, right. The, the whole Enterprise, or not? Was it the whole? No, no, not the whole Enterprise. They brought the whole the the shuttle. Right. Well, not the shuttle, just the peoples. Oh, just the people? Not the shuttle, too? No, I don't think... Because I don't think they got beamed out until they got out of the shuttle, and then they like, oh, it's so loud, and then they find themselves in the future again. Okay, fine. So, anyway, that made a lot more sense. That... that, that, I, I would just... It was just making my skin crawl the way they were they were moving the storyline. Like, somehow they're going to figure out how to go into the future themselves. Uh, but at least they didn't get that ridiculous. Okay, that's why I was coming. Yeah, but one of the things that I thought was weird was... I mean, how did he get all these different aliens? Or all these different creatures? Because Oh, the collection? I mean, they seem to be like he's on that planet. And well, in the future. And the... Uh, well, the Obvious. The beam is on that planet. Well, obviously, the the obviously the museum is a TARDIS, so okay. it can it can go anywhere and go to any time, and and that's it. And set up a trap on a different planet, exactly. And wait a thousand years in the future and just bring in whatever it snares. Well, obviously, if it's a TARDIS, it can go anywhere it wants to. Wouldn't have to wait that long. And so, why did he take the probe? The probe wasn't on the planet. It was in orbit, and then it disappeared. Well, good question. No idea. Didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter, the storyline. And if your probe disappears in orbit, why is the first thing you think of, I'm going to beam down the most to experience people down to the planet exactly. just to see what's what? Yeah. It's a big planet, and they're like, I thought that we would find some people here. <laughs> <laughs> there could be a people a mile away. You just randomly beamed into a spot. Exactly. Uh, lots of uh, leaps of logic there at the beginning. Exactly. But I got to say, the idea of using uh, drones, uh, probes, to go ahead of you, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, if I would, you know, really, if you were going where no man has gone before, definitely makes, no two ways about it, that makes tons of sense, being able to send probes ahead of you. But. Right. Nope, Absolutely. Okay, let's let's move on, shall we? All right, let's do it. Oh, I'm sorry, but I need I really need to mention the fact that Palnex says he uses the sonic vibrator to bring all the people forward into the future. I just I just wanted to point that out. The sonic vibrator. And who's it? Who says that? Pa- Palnek, the bad guy, the the all oh, guy, the, the eyeball name? guy. Yeah, Palnek. I missed that. I thought he just called himself the cult. No, it's Palnek who uses a sonic vibrator. Okay, so there you go. I All right. Just, well, that I makes just need to point that out. Okay. Uh, moving right. on. Moving on. Okay. Storyline fifteen. Okay. So this one again, uh, Mike Noble's the artist. That's the only person I know. The Enterprise is at a dead stop in deep space, undergoing significant maintenance by a team of humanoid robots, affectionately referred to by the human crew as the Metal Mob. This experiment in Starship maintenance is going well so far, with the side benefit of giving the engineering staff some time off. Hours later, the work completes, and the robots return to the ship through a hatch in the belly of the saucer section. 
After a longer than normal shift, Kirk returns. Kirk turns over the con to Uhura, and as uh, the rest of the A shift turns in for the night. Quote, night. Because there is no night on a starship. In the shadows of engineering, a stealthy figure moves to the main communications junction box and cuts the cables. At the start of the morning shift, Kirk returns to the con, asking for ship status. Everything is reported fine until he discovers that communications are down. Sensors pick up an incoming group of four Starfleet attack fighters, closing in on the Enterprise at high speed. The commander of the fighters gives the order to attack. To be continued in next week's thrill-packed issue. Issue 46. With its shields down, the Enterprise is taking heavy fire from the speeding fighters. Kirk is able to get shields up just in the nick of time. With the protective shields in place... They have time to repair communications and calls off the attack. The brass back at Earth tell Kirk they received a message from Kirk with his secret codes and everything, saying the ship has been captured by enemy aliens and it must be destroyed. To be continued in next week's issue, when Kirk's security screen brings a shocking result. Issue 47. Kirk and the bridge crew read the text of the message HQ says they sent. Kirk confirms it's a fake, but it did use his security codes. How could that happen? They figure a spy on board must have cracked the computer, stole Kirk's secret security codes, and sent the transmission. They start testing everyone on board using a Tron-looking helmet lie detector. The spy is not found. They send out the metal mob to repair damage caused by the fighters. One of the metal men receives a transmission from the great Zolk and replies, programming received, and they will follow the new directives. The great Zulk gloats that this time they shall not fail to destroy the ship called Enterprise. To be continued in the next issue that will answer the burning question, Will the Great Zulk's Evil Plan Succeed? Issue 48. As repairs wrap up, Kirk gives the order to return to Earth for a full inquiry. Hurtling through space, within an asteroid beyond the Enterprise's sensor range, the Great Zulk admits his plan to destroy the Enterprise to clear the way for his invasion of Earth. As the metal mob enters the Enterprise, one of them is not like the others. A crewman notices and approaches the robot. He is quickly knocked unconscious, but security monitors record the event and an alarm is sounded. The robot is blown to bits by Kirk using a stupid-looking non-cannon phaser rifle before the robot can complete its mission. Spock and Kirk notice a small ball of light that says "erg" before it drops to the deck and turns into a pile of dust. The dust is scooped up for analysis. Later, Spock is able to use the Spectro Video Translator to reconstruct the video image of an unconscious Catman with cut packs. To be continued in the next issue, where we will be exposed to... More way-out space shocks. Issue 49. 
Shields are raised in hopes of stopping any more of the metal mob from being taken over by little light balls that are actually catmen that exercise regularly. Spock identifies the catmen as being from planet Varka, which is a dead planet. The Varkans are thought to be extinct, but maybe some have survived and are using their ability to project their mind outside of their bodies over long distances. They are using that ability to take over one of our maintenance robots to act as a saboteur. As the bridge crew continues to piece together what has been happening, the great Zulk sends across many of his people's little white balls. The light balls pass through the ship's shields easily, and then the transparent aluminum portholes in the ship. They enter the bridge and zap Kirk. To be continued in the next issue, where we will find out whether the sinister Varkins can take control. Issue 50. Kirk is on the deck from the shock. When his phaser lifts up into the air all by itself... Spock uses the universal translator that looks like a lightsaber to talk to the light ball Varkarans. Kirk is back up on his feet when the Varkarans tell the bridge crew they left their physical forms a century ago and found that they could inhabit and take over devices and machinery. That is how they took over the maintenance robot to do their bidding. Now... They are not content to just take over robots and phasers. They will now take over the Enterprise itself and use it, along with their asteroid spaceship, to take over Earth. Being the clever Scotsman he is, and the true hero of this comic strip, Scotty turns off the light switch of the bridge, which blinds the balls of lights to the crew's location. However, given the balls of light give off, you know, light... The Varkarans are easy targets for the suddenly armed bridge crew. A laser light show ensues as someone plays Pink Floyd's The Wall. When the balls of light have been turned into smoky ash, Scotty turns the lights back on. They are saved from the Zarkaran boarding party by Scotty. Hurrah! However, the great Zulk decides payback is in order and decides to take the asteroid up to ramming speed to be continued in the next issue where we will see Kirk choose a collision course issue 51 the Enterprise begins playing dodgeball as the bridge crew gets into spacesuits for some unknown reason they fire a full complement of rockets at the asteroid that only serves to deflect it just enough to avoid collision with the Enterprise Kirk orders a second volley of missiles, but the asteroid amazingly is maneuverable enough to avoid all the missiles. Again, Scotty saves the day by suggesting that they turn the Enterprise's headlights on and just at the right time click on the high beams. They execute the plan which blinds the Zarkarans long enough to not see the multiple shuttles loaded with antimatter explosive devices dispatched from the Enterprise that then the asteroid flies directly into the loaded shuttles. The great Zulk and his asteroid goes boom. Scotty saves the ship and Earth yet again. Hooray for the UK, despite the decades of oppression Scotland endured under their thumb of Britain. Yes, I saw Braveheart. 
The end. All right. How did you tie that in with Braveheart? <laughs> I'm just commenting on they got they got Scotty as the hero. Yet, Scotland uh, suffered hundreds of years of oppression by Britain, by the English. And yes, I saw Braveheart. That was the, that was the point of my joke at the end. Whew. A bit of a reach? Maybe. A a reach. Maybe. Okay. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> so did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy? The story? No. <laughs> but it, it, it had the mighty Zulk as opposed to the mighty Hulk. Uh, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you are all over the place. I am. And why you, sh- you got to have fun with some of these? They're so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I thought that you were able to destroy them with uh, the high beams. It was <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> well, look That's at different. it. Look at it. Okay, oh no! So, so you're they... absolutely right. It's the high beams. <laughs> okay, so they actually have a panel that shows the Enterprise like coming towards you, but there are two. I can only call them headlights in the front of the saucer section, shooting bright beams of light forward. They're super spectral beams. Oh, is that what they called it? Super super spectral? Yeah. No, not spectral. Spectrum beams. uh, Okay, spectrum. I think it it means the same thing. specifically for black air illumination. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck is black air? And there's no air in space. Exactly. But if there was air in space, it would be black. (laughs) Yeah, that part was really weird. So, Super Spectrum? Yep. Okay, so, of course, the Spectrum is the different colors that make up white light, I suppose. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so, this is more than your normal Spectrum. This is Super. No, super, yeah, above. Okay, that's good. But I guess that explains a little bit more how this... This... Uh, Asteroid that is populated by little dots of light, little balls of light, can be blinded by light. Okay. Right. That made no sense. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, the, again, the artwork, absolutely beautiful. And it shows all these, like, meteors and what looks like supernovas and stuff. And you're just like, m- missiles. I mean, the artwork is beautiful. And then you read the boxes and you're just like, what's going on? That. <laughs> What is this story? <laughs> what, what, what's that Tron helmet supposed to do on them, everybody? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was... It, I wish... It almost would be better if they just didn't put words. And it was just make your own... Make, <laughs> make your up own, your own story. Uh, story. <laughs> you know, you suddenly you got cat people, but they don't do anything else but lay in bed. And then suddenly shows them jumping around on a on a, on a flashback and then... Sitting in a chair is just like, why the why the cat people? That made no sense. Oh, and, and they look like they're having fun too. Yes, so so the cat people don't need. I mean, they're cats, so they just run around, and so they don't need like cars or anything. But or if they want to, or space. Well, okay, but if you have to go long distances, because they they move around just fine on their own. But it, sure. but when they need to do long distances, they figured out they can project. 
their id, their inner being, their their mentality in balls mm-hmm. of light. Right. That is great. So what do they do when they get to another planet? Uh, in the balls in- of light? In fact, whatever uh, technology they have in that. Well, as we find out. Yeah, well, but... that's how they evolved to. But yeah, I don't know what their original plan was. Yeah, because that's, that's great. Uh, the globes of light contain the whole will and sense leaves his body. It can move with fantastic speed across any distance. Okay. And what do they do when they get there? I mean, it's a ball of light. Do they have eyes? I mean, can they pick up anything? Don't think so. Well, they seem to be able to look around okay. I mean, they, they know where they're at. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. And and it's really amazing. So this, this is in the past, right? Uh, far in the past. But somehow they found records, video records, of these people's uh, societies, the Varka. Well, maybe they don't need video records. They can just, uh, you know, scan Use that it. video whatever yeah, that thing? video scanning thing that then tells you not only what they look like, but what they did, what they ate, how they, uh, how they lived. Exactly. All by a scan of a ball. Uh, exactly. Uh, no, it wasn't even a ball. It was just the, the dirt, right? It was the just dirt. The, it was the dust. The, the That's dust. all they needed. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, from was... this dust, we can tell that they used to have little friskies twice a day. <laughs> all right that's great uh and then, then it picks up the phaser that's great now I, I floating phaser the floating like, phaser still has to be some sort of propulsion in the phaser itself you would think so the float but i yeah, guess what it made it float if a if it as a ball of light can float then i guess the ball of light is inside the phaser so the ball of light can still float even though it's now inside of a phaser i yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. It does not make sense. But one I, one thing I do like is at least Spock is holding a universal translator, which is canon. So they use that universe I'm pretty sure they use that universal translator in an episode where you were introduced to Zephram Cochran. And at least I think that was the episode. But that is the universal translator they used. It, oh, it cool. just it look I mean it looks like a silver cylinder, like like a lightsaber hilt. It looks like a Mr. Megaphone or Mr. Microphone. A Mr. Remember microphone. <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Microphone. Yes. Yeah, well, isn't it the same thing that you put on your chest to then take away your heartbeat from the sounds of the whole ship? Wasn't that the same oh. thing they used? Oh, God, that was horrible. Yeah, but Wait, wasn't they, that the They, they used that again? Device? They might have. I, I, so. I don't know. It looked like that. It was like a little microphone-looking thing. You know, that was... That would be upsetting if they use a universal translator to take away people's heartbeats for mm-hmm. the recording. Oh, that would be horrible if that's what they did. I kind of remember that episode. Well, yeah, and, then, and then they were able to determine that there was some other Stow entity. Way. Stowaway, yeah. that's it. Oh, wait a yeah, minute. That, that, little that wasn't court-martial, was it? Was that, was yeah, that yeah, court-martial? Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't think... Oh, boy. Hmm. The courtroom drama of uh, Kirk's uh, court martial. Yeah. Um, oh boy, I hope they didn't do that. That, that was a good. That was a decent ish. Uh, that was a decent story until that last part. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they might have used it. So uh, back to this issue um, again. The artwork when the the ships at the beginning are attacking the Enterprise. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful shot of the Enterprise getting its butt kicked. Yeah. 
yeah. I, I like the picture of all those missiles coming out of the out of the uh, butt of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. And then hitting the uh, hitting the asteroid. And right. it almost looks like it's volcanic kind of stuff going on. It's all reds and yellows and golds, and I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Now, why did they get in spacesuits? For some reason, they get into spacesuits. I guess in case they have a hull breach. Uh, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. A hull breach or something, maybe. But, uh, well, yeah, uh, definitely. Is that why? Well, they didn't say, I don't think. Uh, my stars, yeah. the Varkins control that thing like a massive spaceship. They dodged it. They will. Oh, no, oh they, you're right. No, there's absolutely no reason. We can't outride that thing, Captain. All personnel don emergency suits. That's all they. I guess because the, they were gonna the the asteroid was gonna hit them, and they thought that it would be decompressed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So because they never had the money for uh, things like that on the show, they wouldn't do anything like that. But uh, I guess if they can do it, it's only a little extra artistry work. Why not? Exactly. How do you like the little uh, the fishbowls? Fishbowl helmets they have on. Yeah, they're all right. That way you get to see their whole head. Well, that's true. Uh, so you said those look like Tron? Is that what you were talking about? No, no. It, it, the, at the beginning, when they were putting the entire th- crew through a lie detector. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so there's a shot. Uh, with Kirk with a thing on, and yeah. like, like there's red background, like ooh. right, 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 right. Yeah, I know what you're uh, talking about. It, it looks like a bulky Tron helmet, you know, like Bruce Boxleitner, mm-hmm. or etc. Yeah, or it looks like a you know old fashioned hair dryer <laughs> that you saw like the old ladies were it always in. in the, it could be that too. Shows. It could be that too. But yeah, the fishbowl helmet. Um, I mean, it looks cool. I, I get. I get why it was popular at for fiction at the time mm-hmm. because you get to see their whole head and their facial expressions and things like that. Right. But yeah, it doesn't really make much sense. No. And especially at this point since there were real astronauts by this point. Right? Yep. So yep. 70s. We had been to the moon, lots of folks doing spacewalks, nobody had fishbowl fishbowls on their head, but whatever. Right. Okay. But again, if you're drawing a picture, you, you still want to see their face. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's, you know, uh, what uh, was it Alien? Yeah, you know, Alien had the, yeah, Alien so, had fishbowl helmets. Well, well kind of half fishbowl. Right, so maybe, right. you know, so it still was built up around the back. But I, I, I do believe that the very top of their head, they only had the uh, the glass over their head or something. So that was like a half fishbowl, and that and that looked okay. And then I think uh, Prometheus had like more fishbowl than than even Alien did. Oh, oh, interesting. And that was further back in time. Yeah, was for, it? it was. Yeah, further back in time. Uh, it was than the original Alien. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to know why exactly the Enterprise that can do warp eight if it has to, can't outrun an asteroid. Yeah, and I want to know what's propelling the asteroid. Exactly. Is it all those little guys? They're all inside the machinery, and they're all... <laughs> they're all pedaling? Forward? Yeah, <laughs> they're a bunch <laughs> really of little good? hamsters. <laughs> With little light legs? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but you would... I mean, okay, so you're not like... It's not like you're in air or anything, but still. I mean, it takes... I mean, 
if if something the size of an asteroid, much bigger than the Enterprise, has to change course, that takes energy. So how is this thing going to be able to be more maneuverable, or at least equally as maneuverable as a tiny starship? Um, to be able to alter its course, to be able to uh, match anything the Enterprise does? Uh, sorry, that's not going to happen. Right. I don't care nope. what it's got. Yep, I agree with you 100%. Doesn't yeah. make sense. No. Yeah, a lot of, like I said, a lot of this book just does not make sense. No. <laughs> No, I don't understand why the the turning the lights off helped. <laughs> and how'd you like the light switch? Yeah, I don't. Did you ever notice the light there. switch? Yeah, well, not in the real show, but <laughs> I never noticed them in these issues. Well, that's either. where they were. They were right there. They're right little there. red ones. Where you could hit it with your knee and be like, "Oops, sorry, I turned the lights off." Guys. Sorry, everybody. Sorry. Yeah, poorly placed light switches. Exactly. And of course, a good thing that they were. They were shooting a light beam at a ball of light and not putting holes in the sh- in the hull. Or other people. Or people. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Spock. I was shooting at the light ball, but uh, but you were behind it and messed. <laughs> right. Now you did. Now you're dead. That's right. But at least, you know, when they show a close-up of the phaser talking, at least that looks pretty pretty much like a phaser. Yeah, it did. You know, it's, it's, that's that's not bad. That's that's pretty accurate. I wish that they would have put in more of the uh, like Maress's like cat noises while it was talking. Like this is perfect. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Good point. But you know, they always did that with Maress too, where, where she overemphasized all the did cat it, noises. Didn't Eartha Kit do that when she was Catwoman? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. And I'm pretty sure that's where the cartoon got it from. Right. They were okay. Like, well, Eartha Kid did it, so we can do it too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, I think um, Michelle, or I'm gonna, uh, what's her name? I don't know which one. Uh, so, so one of the many women. Ahura. Oh, she, she Michelle was the Nichols. Voice of yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was Maress's voice. So cool. It was kind of funny because whether it was Maress at at the station or or at the station. Uh, same actress played both. <laughs> Did she sound like uh, Ahura, but with a with cat kind of inflections every once in a while, or did she yeah, sound different? She, she I don't remember. Sound, she sounded pretty different. I didn't know it was her until ah. way later. Good, good. She was just that good an actress. There you go. You know what? They should totally bring back Maress and then have her do the voice. You know, that way it could be a CG character, but she's still in she's it. She's still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a kind of night. I hope the the Star Trek Four person does that. Oh, I really doubt it. But you never know. Nice. It would be a nice little fan service. Fans of the cartoon. Fans of of the cartoon. That would of be it. Ahura. Boom. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it'd be a bit of a stretch. They'd have to do it really well. Now, mind you, they were able to do a CG raccoon and make that work. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Mares could work, but mm. it could work. I have my doubts. Do it. All right. So uh, this one has robot people too, right? Oh it seems, yeah. It seemed yeah. weird that we had robot people in the first story today, mm. and then we have robot people in this one too. Yeah. Well, like I said before, they seem to like to inject a lot of robots into these stories. Right. 
Um, at least this this issue. Yes, and these robots, the metal mob, are able to do spacewalks and repair the ship from the outside. Which, every time the Enterprise would uh, have damage, and then Scotty would give an estimate about when he's going to be fixed, it's like nobody ever seemed to be going outside. Right. Which, well, here in the comic books, people are outside all the time. Well, exactly, which makes more sense because you know it's art. You know, it's it's just drawing, right? So you don't need special effects, so you can afford it. Uh, so this does make more sense. But really, if you're going to have uh, machines go out and do work on the outside of the ship, why would you give them legs? You don't or, need yeah, yeah. legs. <laughs> Um, they should look at those little drones because then they have little drone things in Star Trek the motion picture where it was just like a little pod with two arms I uh, the movies the JJ yeah, yeah, the first movie no 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 the the motion picture the the old movie oh well that I think that was actually a manned a man pod oh, was it? that was oh, when Enterprise was in space stockings yeah floating around yeah yeah I think that was a, a manned uh, thing oh, okay. But yeah, something like that would make more sense. I mean, if you're going to have a mechanism that's doing a repair work, a box with two clawing arms, or maybe three arms for that matter, um, and like a jetpack thing to, to move you around it, that makes a lot more sense than building something in the shape of a man. Right. Anyway. Nope. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. But I did like how these droids look. Like, in, inside their visor, it's like a little... Just a mechanical gear-looking thing as opposed to a fake face or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I think because you could see them through the, uh, through, through the face plates. And by the way, notice that the metal men, they don't have fishbowls. No, they got normal-looking It's, it's a helmet with, with a big front glass thing, which why would you need a big front glass thing? But whatever. Um, but, but at least it looked like, uh, like gray machinery for the head. So that was cool. In the in ish, in in the story fourteen, was it fourteen? Yeah. Uh, the robot there. It was thirteen. Thirteen. Okay, so thirteen. So when we were looking at the robot, yeah, right, the Klingon robot. That's right. When you looked at that guy, it was like something from Transformers. So it's got the red, you know, the red eyes and the two red eyes, and um, it just it looked a little ridiculous. That's because that was a Klingon robot. These are right. Federation robots. There you go. There you go. But but and but, it would be kind of cool if they said, "Hey, we designed these robots after the the Klingon one we ended up getting on the uh, barbell ship." <laughs> That's it. That's it. But, Come on, that would have been cool. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I'm just going back looking. At, so I finally I went back to issue 13 and found the panel I was thinking of, where it shows in the bottom of the page the uh, you know the the jet paddock packed uh, robot of doom, mm-hmm. and and what's in the fishbowl head set. Which by the way, if you guys can't see that, you're blind. So it's got a fishbowl head thing, and it's got like a little transformers kind of little robot, you know, the, the kind of squeaky runs that go on, you know, run around with little legs and are annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of looks like that. Yeah. Anyway, you, I you, you, I you mean, need the strip. You need the strip to see that. And which page was it on? What's What kind of squeaky thing? 
Um, it is, what page is it on? Uh, these aren't page numbered, but, um, it's the last thing, last page of issue 35. So it, it shows people working on the outside of the, uh, Enterprise, the metal mob working on the out, or no people working on the outside of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Repairing 35 it. is the Klingon one, right? Yeah, that, right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. 13. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he looks like insect. It's the yeah the the Klingon one looks kind of like an insect head. Right, kind of like an insect head. Kind of like yeah. I, I just remember there being some little, like, little Transformers robot that was kind oh, of. Oh, uh, well, in one of the movies. I in one of the movies. Watched. Yeah, okay. it's one of the movies. Yeah, yeah, the one that turns into the jukebox there on the Air Force One. Uh, yeah, the maybe, Army, maybe. That's about where I stopped watching it. <laughs> <laughs> But okay. yeah, no, you're right. It does look like that. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, I just thought I'd mention that. <sighs> All right. Uh, so the laser rifle Kirk is using, of course, looks nothing like Taws. Uh, a lot more like Buck Rogers. Um, when does he use one on this one? Oh, yeah, yeah, when he's blasting the wall open. Uh, yeah, getting through the wall and then shooting the robot before it can do its sabotage. Right. And of course it was Kirk that did it. Which, quite frankly, that is, that is in line with with the show. Kirk mm-hmm. did most everything, uh, at least anything that re- required shooting or action packedness. Is that a thing, action packedness? Sure, <laughs> action packed. That was always Kirk's thing. Spock would come up with the ideas. It's true. It is true. Exactly. He would be the intelligent one. Except in the episode, the uh, immunity syndrome. Where it was Kirk that came up with using antimatter, like antibodies. Uh, do you remember, remember that one at all? Uh, I really don't. I don't it remember was, that. I don't remember him saying antibodies in antimatter. Yeah. So he comes up with the idea of shooting the antimatter into the giant space amoeba. Ridiculous. Okay. Yes, I agree. Um, like antibodies, in fact, uh, you know going after a uh, a foreign presence in the human body. And the thing is, that was so Spock. That Spock should have said that. That that was not a Kirk thing. Um, but Kirk said it, and then he ends up slapping Spock on the face a little bit, saying, antibodies. It's like... <laughs> you can almost see Shatner doing one of his famous tantrums or something, saying... Kirk needs to figure something out. How about if we have Kirk say that instead of Spock? It's like, that doesn't make any sense, Bill. I want it. Anyway, I'm sure that's not what happened. Yeah, you're not, you're not putting, you're not painting the shot in a very good light there. Sorry. Well, he ruined Sulu's scene going off to being his own captain, purposely. That is what they say. That is what they say. Anyway, enough of that. So uh, that, that's, that's all I have as far as comments. You? Uh, yep, I'm done as well. Um, like I said, I love the artwork. Didn't care for the story. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> kind, of, kind of ridiculous. but. All right, so next week, shall we uh, take a break of UK strips and move on to maybe some more recent stuff? Let's do that, because I'd like to get back to some stuff that I genuinely enjoy, stories. <gasps> so In addition to the artwork. Well, I enjoy it all but something where I don't have to make compromises. 
Gotcha. All right, so next week we'll do uh, kind of a, a, a mixture of two different captains, uh, one being Captain Saru, you know, starting ah. off his uh, captaincy sure. of the Discovery. Mm-hmm. And then uh, IDW also did a special with Captain Picard where he first takes on being captain of the USS Stargazer. Cool. Okay. So, uh, they're kind of larger. I think they're I think they're kind of like annuals. So uh, we'll just do the, just those two books, not a third book that, that week. Okay, that makes sense. Great. Uh, but that way we get a little taste of Discovery and a little taste of Picard, since we're about to have a Picard TV series, along with a miniseries. Right. So when in 20, early in 2020 is when Picard's January. supposed to come on, right? January? Yeah, okay, good. Month. Great. About, a month, about from recording this, about a month in the future. Excellent. Of course, that will have been the past by the time we edit and post. Edit and post, But, yeah. yes, looking forward to that. Yeah, getting no, getting back into the next gen. And that, and, that is so cool. All right. Well, then uh, that wraps up this episode, and we'll be back next week with uh, with those two books. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starT comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here